Yo, what is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to a brand new episode of the Quarterly Report Podcast, episode 190, man. 10 episodes away from 200. I got to start thinking about, like, you know, what I'm going to do to celebrate the 200th episode. But, hey, it's still over two months away. Thank you for being here with me right now, wherever you are listening to me. I appreciate your time. For the next 90 minutes or so, man, there's so much stuff to talk about, including... People using Tim Tebow as a way to voice their displeasure with what the NFL continues to still do with Colin Kaepernick. I'm going to discuss that in our fourth quarter this week. All of that, plus, as a Knicks fan, I am cautiously optimistic. Cautiously optimistic about the future, the direction of my favorite professional sports club. However, there is still reason why I am petrified. PTSD, if you will. I'm going to break down what I hope the Knicks do in the set traps and the booby traps that are in place to prevent us from flourishing the way we absolutely should be. All of that and so much more. But first, our number one topic this week. First quarter. It was one of the more decorated NBA Hall of Fame classes to be enshrined this past weekend. Definitely one of the greatest at the top when you're talking about Kevin Garnett, Kobe Bryant, and Tim Duncan. And obviously, when you're talking Kobe, there's a added emotional factor to this weekend's um, Hall of Fame festivities. And, you know, before... Saturday, I had this whole kind of show planned out. Like I wanted to discuss Tim Duncan and how Tim Duncan is widely considered, like universally considered one of the greatest basketball players of all time, yet still occupies this position of being severely criminally underrated even. And that was going to be kind of my takeaway from the Hall of Fame festivities I had the, the quarter recorded the whole nine. And then I find out that Ben Wallace finally, finally is getting his just due. He's finally being inducted into the Hall of Fame for next year's class. Or I guess it's weird because Tim Duncan, Kobe Bryant, Kevin Garnett were actually a part of the 2020 Hall of Fame class. Later on this year, I believe, uh, Ben Wallace along with Chris Webber, um, Chris Bosh, Paul Pierce, they're getting inducted as well. And that's a phenomenal class. But I want to go back to Ben Wallace. Because for weeks, for months, for years, I've been talking about how Ben Wallace should be a Hall of Famer. And I didn't want to like pinpoint and specifically call out players who were phenomenal scorers. They're not even phenomenal. But like elite level scores who are in, who are in well before Ben Wallace, who, had, who weren't nearly as productive as Ben Wallace. But I didn't want to do that because that's kind of that's kind of nasty, right? You don't want to take away from someone's celebration, from someone's accolades as a way to kind of build up someone else. But now that Ben Wallace is in, it's not really like doing that, right? I can, we can all uplift each other. You understand? Like I'm not making someone look bad to make Ben Wallace look good. To prove a point on why Ben Wallace is a Hall of Famer. But after Ben Wallace, and I and I understood it was gonna happen, because this is where we are when it comes to basketball 
discussion. This is where we are. We don't, to me at least, it just doesn't feel like there's a certain level of sophistication. It's, did you get buckets? And if you didn't, then it's over, right? How many points did you score? Because the, the way people talk about Ben Wallace, my goodness, people who I respect, and I've said this so many times on the show in the past, there's so many people whose minds and basketball minds and sports minds I respect who still don't get the Ben Wallace love. And I get it. The Basketball Hall of Fame is a cakewalk. I shouldn't say that. But in regards to the other Hall of Fames, it's so easy to get into the basketball. And again, it's not the NBA Hall of Fame. It's the Basketball Hall of Fame. And I think a lot of people kind of miss that up. So if you have multiple gold medals in Olympic basketball, well, guess what? They factor that in the Basketball Hall of Fame, as they should. So there are players in the Basketball Hall of Fame who are awful professionals, but they were great Olympic players. They were great college basketball players. Or they were great in basketball um, leagues overseas, abroad. But I want to focus in on Ben Wallace because the the lack of appreciation that so many people have for Ben Wallace. Saturday morning, I saw that and I was excited. I was truly excited, man. Damn, bro. Finally, Ben Wallace gets in. And immediately, it becomes a talking point. Like Ben Wallace, does he deserve to be in the Hall of Fame? And then everyone's saying, man, he's really good. He was a great defensive player. But Hall of Fame? You know what? Let's do this. Let's do this real quick thought exercise. Reggie Miller is a Hall of Famer. Steve Nash, Hall of Famer, right? Dominique Wilkins, Hall of Famer. Mitch Richmond, Hall of Famer. These are four guys, and I'm not drawing any conclusions. I think three of those dudes, well, three of those dudes for sure. Two guys, definitely, absolutely, no doubt about it, Hall of Famers. Let's say three. Let's say three of those guys that I just named. I'll, I'll let you think about which one is probably left off. I think it's pretty easy, but whatever. But all four of those men are in the Hall, Basketball Hall of Fame. And with the exception of maybe Mitch Richmond, all of them, there was no second guessing. Hell, we could throw Chris Mullen in there as well. Let's do that as well. Chris Mullen. Right? Mitch Richmond. Steve Nash. Dominique Wilkins. Reggie Miller. Five Hall of Famers. Five guys who've had all types of accolades, all types of individual success. None of those dudes won a motherfucking thing that mattered. There's one MVP there. Steve Nash, or I'm sorry, two. Two MVPs. Two MVP titles. One man. Um, I want to say no NBA champion, but some of those guys may have hung on toward the end of their careers to get one. No finals MVPs. Right? But all of those dudes were in to the Hall of Fame and more or less, well, Steve Nash, I don't believe is in the Hall of Fame. Actually, yes, he is. And more or less, it was like, okay, no one had a problem. Now, mind you, none of those guys were, have ever been considered even a marginal defensive player. Not even, not even mediocre. All of those guys were considered awful defensive players. And they have a reputation for that. 
That's fine. But no one ever questioned Dominique Wilkins. Should he be in the Hall of Fame? No one ever questioned Chris Mullins. Should he be in the Hall of Fame? And I get it. Because we have been, I don't want to even say conditioned. That's, this is just the way we, we view basketball. When you're young and you're playing basketball, the guys who are really, really good, the guys who can score. We appreciate the offensive side of basketball far more. It's not even, not even close. It's so funny when I hear people talk about, oh man, two-way player. Because two-way player has become this kind of, this new in vogue term in basketball dialogue. People always love to celebrate the two-way player, especially when it's like a point of separation. Like if you have a guy who only scores and then you have a guy who brings it on both sides of the floor, oh, well, he's a two-way player. And that kind of like enhances one player, or at least it does in the moment. But the idea that we have to mention two-way players speaks to how little we value defense. The idea shouldn't be to separate two-way players with others. The, the idea should be you should be an effective basketball player when you're on the floor. And guess what? This isn't baseball. This isn't football. The guys who are playing offense are the guys who also are playing defense. There's just such a lack of appreciation. So if you are a talented defensive player, if you can't score, you're considered an afterthought. Look at the way we and, and, and look at the way we do Rudy Gobert. Rudy Gobert averages like 16, 17 points, shoots like 60% from the floor. A phenomenal offensive player by every single metric. Every single metric you look at, with the exception of PPG. And again, if you've listened to this podcast for even a handful of times, you understand why I cannot stand points per game raw stats totals. But I digress. So Rudy Gobert is a phenomenal offensive player, but we disrespect him. Because of his low points per game totals. So imagine what we do for Ben Wallace. People, once it came out that Ben Wallace would be in the Hall of Fame, guess what people said? Oh, man, well, he was really good. He's a great defensive player. But I don't know about the Hall of Fame. How many people said that the exact opposite when it came to Dominique Wilkins? How many people said, man, Dominique, he was a great offensive player. But Hall of Fame, man. How many times Dominique Wilkins went to the finals? How many times did we say this about Reggie Miller? Man, Reggie Miller's a great offensive player. But Hall of Fame, uh, We didn't say that about Chris Mullen. These are great offensive players. No one's going to say that about Steve Nash. Steve Nash, MVP. Never made it to a finals as great as Steve Nash was as an offensive player, and I'm not saying Ben Wallace is as great as Steve Nash. I'm not saying Ben Wallace is as great. I'm just saying, I'm not saying Ben Wallace is as great as Steve Nash, okay? But if the argument is Ben Wallace was only good at half of the game, he shouldn't be a Hall of Famer. Ben Wallace was a four-time defensive player of the year. The Detroit Pistons went to seven straight Eastern Conference Finals. They were one Robert Ory three-point shot away from winning back-to-back -back champions 
And their back-to-back championship was against Shaq and Kobe, and then would have been against Tim Duncan, Mono Ginobili, and the Spurs. Like, they were one Robert Ori three from having that be the case. The most impactful player on that Pistons team was Ben Wallace by a long shot. Chauncey Billups hit the big shots. That team was only in those games because of their defense. Rip Hamilton. And he was running out Jason Maxfield. Come on, Slim. We know what time it is. We know what time it is. And shout out to Tayshaun Prince. He was a phenomenal player. Shout out to Chauncey Billups. He was a phenomenal player too. Chauncey, if he's not in the Hall of Fame already, he'll be there. But Ben Wallace was the heart and soul of the team. This is this is easy. In the NBA, the NBA strips things down. It makes it so simple. If you look at great teams, they take the shape, they take the form, they take the identity of their best, most important player. This isn't new. Showtime Lakers, what do you think, Magic? 80s bird or 80 Celtics, you think bird. Bad Boys Pistons, boom, Isaiah and Dennis Rodman. The 90s Bulls, the intensity, the focus, the clutchness, the rising to the, the, the occasion, the offense and defensive just superpower. That's, that's Jordan, all the way, all the way. Go to the Spurs, you think Timmy. Go to whatever team LeBron's on, boom. Like, the Celtics turned themselves into a great defensive team once they got Kevin Garnett. Paul Pierce is the beloved member of that team, and he scored the points. That Celtics team that won a championship, Kevin Garnett was the best player. That's not even a question. The best teams take the identity of the most important players. It's because basketball is unlike other sports. There's like 13, 14 guys on the roster. Four of them don't play. In the playoffs, you're pretty much only running eight. So the best players have to be on the floor the most time. So it's natural that the best players are going to take shape. The team is going to take the identity of their best players because, yeah, they're the most important one. One player in basketball impacts the game more than any other player in any other sport. Even quarterback in football, because no matter how great you are as a quarterback, when the defense is on the field, your ass is on the sidelines. And it's one game. So is it a question that a team that had that success like the Pistons did? That they were built on their defense? They won a championship based on their defense. They went to all of those conference championship games consecutively because of their defense. They almost won back-to-back championships because of their defense. And the best player on their team was one of the best defensive players of his generation. And we're questioning whether he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame? This is the problem. We only looked at buckets. Oh, man, how was you in, were you in your bag? How many points you drop? Oh man, can you get buckets? That like that whole that whole mentality has just clouded everything. We don't appreciate anything. 
We got Bama's telling you that Russell Westbrook is better than Jason Kidd or John Stockton because of counting stats. We got Bama saying, dog, it was cool that Mitch Richmond made it to the Hall of Fame. And no disrespect to Mitch Richmond or Reggie Miller, but not Ben Wallace? Give me anything outside of points per game that would let anybody believe that those two players were greater or more impactful than Ben Wallace. I dare you. I challenge anyone. Make the argument for Mitch Richmond and Reggie Miller over Ben Wallace without using PPG. You cannot do it. They almost beat Shaq and Kobe, Tim Duggan and Ginobili in back-to-back -back years. They did beat Shaq and Kobe. Went to seven straight NBA Finals. Or, I'm sorry, not NBA Finals. Conference Championships. And these guys who haven't done anything. Haven't done anything. No one complains about them getting into the Hall of Fame. But when Ben Wallace makes it after waiting for a ridiculous amount of years, that's cool. Are we serious now? And now, and the same people who will do that, will they complain about, oh man, no one plays defense in the NBA. Yeah. I go back to the Jabari Parker press conference from like three years ago when he was paid $20 million and they said, man, you don't play defense. He's like, I don't get paid to play defense. And people laughed at him. That was the realest shit he could have ever said. Contracts do not get handed out. Respect does not get handed out. Hell, Hall of Fame credentials, Hall of Fame busts do not get handed out because of defense. There's such a lack of appreciation for guys because we view that the talent, right, the artist, the art, Right, the, the the ability, all of that stems from the offensive side of the floor. And the guys who don't have the beautiful offensive game, well, they're, they're just grunt workers and they just do the stuff that nobody else wants to do. We don't appreciate the art in playing defense. Man, that shit last year, dog, when we were watching The Last Dance and Dennis Rodman is talking about, he, it's, the, it's the, the sound bite Dennis Rodman had that was been used so much when he's like... The ball bounces here, and he's making all these sounds, and he's talking about how he can see the rotation of the ball and how it was easy for him to get these rebounds. We all laugh at it, but what, what happened, unfortunately, is we did not appreciate the art. We did not appreciate the ability. We did not appreciate the genius and what goes into what he was saying. We just laughed. When Rudy Gobert takes a bunch of guys who aren't talented to potentially the number one seed in the entire league, we just say, okay, well, they're not going to win the championship. We dismiss it. Ben Wallace leads a team to a championship, back-to-back -back finals, the best run of that team since the bad boy Pistons. And we are questioning whether he's a Hall of Famer. Dennis Rodman gets traded for Will Perdue. I'm not making any of this up. These are things that actually happen. And it speaks to the lack of appreciation, the lack of even just attention that we pay to defense. We have an entire era of people who don't understand the importance of defense. And then we question why defense isn't played or why guys who don't play defense Get these huge contracts. Well, it ain't like this just comes out of anywhere. It didn't just come about of thin air. 
cause and effect is real. It's so real. If we don't pay people attention, if we don't even give these guys their flowers, then how do you think the, the generation that follows them will feel about it? You can't be shocked that you get 144 to 139 games now when we basically spent the last 12 years just focusing on points per game. You can't be shocked that these young players don't like passing to their open teammates when we have ridiculed Kevin Garnett and LeBron James for the last 15 years for passing to the open player. If you criticize guys for passing to the open player, you then cannot get upset when guys go one on four to end the game. It's all connected. Shout out to the wire. I want to hear. I genuinely want to hear from the people who don't know if Ben Wallace is a Hall of Famer. Because I believe I have your argument. Your argument is he didn't score points. And yes, if you only view, if you only view importance, significance, productivity in basketball based on how many points you score, I get it. But imagine if I came to the same argument saying, you know what, I, the points you score is cool, but the points you prevent are more important. Imagine if I said, okay, well, how many points did you stop? How many points did you prevent from being scored on you, on your team? How many players who are in the Hall of Fame now will we just immediately strip away? You can't have it both ways. If we are going to celebrate and reward and induct players who were phenomenal offensive players but could not could not stop a running nose, what message are we sending for the guys who were elite among the elite of the elites on defense and they just couldn't score? We're saying the quiet part out loud, you understand? Maybe you don't view defense as an important part of winning basketball games. And if that's the case, I don't I don't even really want to argue with you. If that's how you feel. That's how you feel. Everybody's allowed to feel what they want. But if you are not saying that defense does not matter, if that's not what you're saying, please help me understand how Dominique Wilkins, Reggie Miller, and Mitch Richmond deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. And Ben Wallace doesn't. I want to hear your guys' thoughts. Email me at quarterlyreport at gmail.com. Tweet at the show at quarterly show. That's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E -E -E show. All right, guys. So that's the Hall of Fame. But hell, man, the playoffs. Playoffs. Playoffs, baby. The playoffs are about to start. We are actually it's about to start. By the time you guys listen to my voice, listen to this show, the playoffs will be about to begin. And I don't like to talk about my Knicks, but damn it, I have to get some things off my chest because, yes, the Knicks had a great year, but that does not mean that they are out of the dark ages. I explain our second topic this week. Second quarter. At the time of this recording, the New York Knicks currently sit at the fourth seed on the last day of the NBA regular season. The Knicks right now are 40 and 31. Again, at the time of this recording, they play the Boston Celtics uh, on the last night. And whether they end up 41 and 31 or 40 and 32, I can't properly 
explain how odd this season has been. And a pleasant surprise. Let me make sure I'm perfectly clear. This season has been... I've had to catch myself multiple times thinking to myself, damn, the Knicks are actually pretty good. And the idea that they could finish the season 10 games over 500 is nuts to me. And when you look at the Knicks, when you look at their kind of future, the position that they're in, they've got multiple first-round picks. I want to say they have seven first-round picks in the next three seasons and then a whole hell of a more in the second round. They've got approximately $60 million in cap space. They have positioned themselves quite well. And there, there is legit reason for optimism, right? The, they, I recently said on Twitter, I was like, you know what? The Knicks went from an awful team to a competitive team to a quality team in one year, in one season. And that's due in large part to Tom Thibodeau. Like he came in, he changed the culture. We've got a bunch of guys who, who work hard, who have bought in. And, you know, th- there's something special in the kitchen being made right now. But this upcoming offseason, and this is not some dread, doom and gloom Nick fan talking. This is just being real. I would feel that y'all have heard me talk about this years and years past when it came to the Blazers, the Raptors, the Wizards, the Cavaliers. This is such a pivotal offseason coming up for the Knicks. And why do I say that? There's so many people who want to throw a ticker tape parade right now for the Knicks. And I get it. They've been so bad for so long. This is the 21st year of this century, right? The Knicks have had one really good season. That was the 2014 year, right? 2013-14 season. That was they were we were they were really good. Won 50 games that season. The number two seed of the conference. We were a really good team. And then if you count this season, there've been probably like two, maybe three other seasons where they were like good teams, good teams, quality teams, but not anywhere close to being a champion. So basically, four years in 21. Four years out of 21 that the Knicks have had a quality product. 17 years they've been trash. So it's easy to start grading on the curve. So one thing I can't stand to do. When you always grade on the curve, you are not ever accurately taking a a, a legit self-assessment of where you are relative to everything. You're only looking at your peers. The Knicks are being graded on the curve, not even to their peers. The Knicks are being graded on the on the curve based upon their poor history. We've just went through the numbers. There have been 17 awful seasons in the 21st century that the Knicks have put together. 17 bad ones. So yeah, we get a we get a quality season this year, and we are looking at it view through that prism, like, oh shit. This is this is what it's like. This, we've made it. You see how wild it is? Depending on where your perspective is, you can have two totally different and opposing you know thoughts on where you stand. 
your perspective could be completely skewed based upon your failures as opposed to other teams' successes. If you are the Los Angeles Lakers, you are the defending champions. You and the Knicks have essentially the same record. The Lakers are not looking at this year as a success. In fact, the Lakers are looking at this year as like, okay, this was rough, but we still have a chance to win all of our goals. As a Knicks fan, I would much rather the Knicks grade themselves based upon the Lakers as opposed to basing themselves off of the previous 21 years of the Knicks regime. Because being happy to be nine games over 500, while understandable, never forget, if you were to look at the Eastern Conference standings right now and have an honest conversation where the Knicks stand as a four, maybe five seed this year, are they closer to the Brooklyn Nets, the Philadelphia 76ers, the Milwaukee Bucks? Or are they closer to the Indiana Pacers, the Charlotte Hornets, the Washington Wizards? That's the realest shit that you could ever come to. Where are they currently? Let's don't, don't forget about the picks. Forget about what could happen. Forget about the cap space. Forget about what could happen. This team right now, who are they closer to? Without question, they're closer to the Pacers, the Hornets, the Wizards, the Bulls. Meaning they're closer to having to be an eight seed than they are to contend for a championship berth. Not even the NBA Finals championship, just to get to the finals, the finals appearance. Because the Knicks aren't close to the Bucks. The Knicks aren't close to the Sixers. The Knicks aren't close to the Nets. These are hard truths that need to be communicated. They need to be articulated. Because the worst thing, the worst thing the Knicks can do this offseason, and I fear that this is what is going to happen, they start patting themselves on the back. They start looking around thinking they won some shit. They didn't win anything. And here's the scary part. And this is a problem when it comes to the balance in the, the NBA. One of the reasons why I dislike the playing game, the playing format so much, because it completely ignores the imbalance between the two conferences. If the New York Knicks were in the Western Conference, no one would be considering them as the success. Like, they'd be a success story, but like this, a success story along the lines of the San Antonio Spurs. You understand? The New York Knicks may win a round in the playoffs because that's how bad the Eastern Conference is. The East has three really good teams, four if you count Miami. Miami, they shot themselves in the foot by not pulling the James Harden trigger. But also, we talked about it last week. The teams who had long runs in the playoffs, with the exception of the Denver Nuggets, you know, it, they would they just drew a bad hand. Because there just wasn't an offseason. Guys are tired. Guys had to take care of themselves so that not to get a significant injury. And Jimmy Butler, the best player on the Heat, you know, he's old. He's older. He's got a lot of wear and tear on those tires. He wasn't going all, all out every game this season. He didn't even play for the, much of the start. 
But the Knicks could theoretically win a round in the playoffs, go to the second round. And then even if they make it to the second round, and I think everybody would understand that they would lose, they can be competitive because they're a quality team. And the, and the style of play that Tom Thibodeau preaches doesn't lend itself for a significant blowouts. I think if the Knicks played the Brooklyn Nets or the 76ers in the second round, if they were to beat the Atlanta Hawks, if that's even the matchup, the Knicks could win one, maybe two games in a seven-game series, and it, all those games would be competitive. But even with that being said, look at the 76ers. They've got two guys, 26 years and under, two of the best 20 players in the league. The Knicks don't have anybody close. The 76ers' two best players are great offensively and great defensively. And while the Knicks have a great defensive scheme, there's, there's a significant talent gap between the Sixers and the Knicks. I'm a huge Knicks fan. This is just being real. Let's look at the Milwaukee Bucks. The Milwaukee Bucks have, have one of the best three players on the planet, three, maybe four players on the planet. And he's, he's young. He's still getting better. Julius Randle is good. He ain't fucking with Giannis. He's just not. RJ Barrett is getting better. Maybe he'll be as good as Chris Middleton. And I don't think Chris Middleton is some superstar player either. And we don't have anybody at the guard position who's playing along the lines of Drew Holiday. The, the Bucks are a team that is built to win now, but with the best player on their team, one of the best players in this league, getting better every single game. We do not have the talent to match up with the Milwaukee Bucks. And then you bring in the Brooklyn Nets. Had the James Harden trade not gone through, there's a valid discussion that we could be had about KD and Kyrie and how long of a window that they have. If, if the James Harden trade didn't happen, I think people would be looking at the Nets and saying, you guys have won two at the most three seasons to win. This is year two of KD and Kyrie. Just people forget that they were hurt last year. They got two more years after this season to get it done. James Harden then gets inserted into the equation and changes the math, changes the calculus. It's one of the reasons why I was so frustrated with how the NBA media at large, the quote-unquote experts, were raving about Houston's haul and the James Harden trade initially after it. You know, a few months later, people started to finally come to their senses. But at the moment, it was an awful trade. And I was shocked at the number of people who thought that it was good. James Harden's one of the best players in the league. And they didn't have to give up KD or Kyrie. And now the Brooklyn Nets despite the fact that they haven't played any bit of significant time together, you can't look at any team and just say, from a talent perspective, the Knicks ain't close. They're not close. And that's not even their fault because the league failed or the Houston failed the league in that aspect, right? They, they traded in $100 million in cold, hard cash for lottery tickets, for scratch-offs. That's what they did. That's not the Knicks' fault. That's not the Hawks' fault. That's not the Heat's fault. It's not the Bucks' fault. That's a failure on the Houston Rockets.
knowing that those are the three teams that you are going to have to get through. You're going to have to get through two of them if you are trying to win a championship. And yo, if you're not trying to win a championship, what are you trying to do? Don't talk about the playing to me. Don't talk about being happy for being nine games over 500. I'm done with that. I want to win. I'm not grading on the curve of failures for 17 out of 21 years. I will not do that. As a Nick fan, don't even ask me to do that. Because I still remember the 90s. And the 90s wasn't a great success because we never won. But damn, dog, it felt good to be a contender. The Knicks aren't close to being a contender. Again, they are closer to teams who won't make the playoffs this year than they are to the top three teams in the playoffs in, the, in their conference. Forget about the West. The Knicks ain't beating the Lakers. The Knicks ain't beating the Jazz. The Knicks ain't beating the Suns. But this isn't a negative thing. It's only negative if they start to smell their own shit. If they start to believe their own hype. Julius Randle is a good player. He's a very good player. And he had a hell of a year this year. Maxing out Julius Randle this offseason would be the would be to me signify a problem with the Knicks brass. I just painted it out for you. Julius Randle is 26. If you re-sign him, that means you got him for the next four, maybe five seasons, right? Well, the Nets have two more years at least. Three now when you break down the Harden trade. That they're gonna be up there. Giannis just resigned. Julius Randle's not ever going to be better than Giannis. And again, Joel Ben Simmons. Same age as Julius Randle, essentially. They're locked in long term as well. I can hope that RJ Barrett gets better. And I think he will. But do I believe that RJ Barrett is going to become a superstar? I don't. If I had to make a bet right now that RJ Barrett will or will not be a superstar, I bet that he won't because it's hard to be a superstar. Who else on the Knicks team do you think is going to help move Julius Randle in the Knicks beyond a four seed? Who? Hell, in the series against the Atlanta Hawks, Atlanta has the better player. Even with how great Julius Randle has played, Trey Young is closer to being a superstar than Julius Randle is. That's just real. Now look, this offseason is kind of dry. There's one guy, in my opinion, who is a difference maker. Where if he were to come to our team, if he were to come to the Knicks, then yeah, go ahead, resign Julius, run it back. If we are able to get Kawhi, if Kawhi Leonard decides, hey, you know what? My entire career, I wanted to play in Los Angeles. My entire career, I wanted to play in warm weather on a team that people really like in a, in a, in a big time city. And then after playing there for two years, decides, you know what? I want to go back to the cold weather. Hell, may not make sense to me, but I'll take it. And if the Knicks are somehow able to sign Kawhi Leonard this offseason, then it's just sure. Pay Julius Randle the money, pay Derrick Rose the money, fuck it, whatever. 
and just run it back with them and just hope that Kawhi is good enough to kind of lead him, lead that team to the top of the Eastern Conference. And I think there's something to be said that Kawhi Leonard and Julius Randle with a <clears throat> with RJ Barrett taking another step forward in productivity that you could you could compete with with those teams. Maybe that's the homer in me, but I don't think it's out of the, out of the you know, I don't think it's that much of a stretch. I think the stretch would be that Kawhi Leonard leaves the Clippers to come to the Knicks. I can't see that happening. So if that doesn't happen, how on earth can any reasonable person look at the Knicks this year, look at the top of the Eastern Conference and say, you know what? Let's run it back. But instead of running it back with all these guys making, you know, team-friendly contracts, let's pay everybody more. They're not close to contending. They've got $60 million in cap space. Why are you going to pay the same guys more money to get the same type of product? I don't get that. It just doesn't make sense to me. Julius Randle is really good. He's really, really good. He ain't a game changer, in my opinion. So why not sell high? And when I say sell high, I'm saying that Julius Randle may make an all-NBA team this year. In fact, I probably think it's the odds are higher that he makes it than he, than he misses it. If Julius Randle makes an all-NBA team this year, and we talked about Carl Anthony Towns last, last uh, episode, he's having a down year this year. I trade Julius Randle for Carl Anthony Towns if that's something Minnesota even thinks about doing so fast. Because Carl Anthony Towns is a game changer. He had a down year this year, and I think anybody with any type of heart can understand that. And a change of scenery may be what's in, in order for Cat. Now, I don't know the relationship between Towns and Thibodeau. Unfortunately, that's that's something that probably that's probably very real. And it may get in the way. But if I'm going to pay money to, to one of those two players, yeah, I want to pay it to Cat. And Damian Lillard gets bounced out of the first round again in the West, and the Blazers are like, hey, man, we got to break this thing up. I use Julius Randle as a talking point. Like, Julius Randle plus what will give me Damian Lillard? Damian Lillard is a game changer. And Damian Lillard has been playing in the Western Conference his entire career. We talked about the imbalance. So if you take him out of the toughest conference and put him in the easiest conference and then build around him with still a significant amount of cap space, a significant amount of draft picks, then you have a plan. Get the game changer. Get the star player. Get the guy who can move the needle. Julius Randle is good. But you only view him as a game changer if you're grading this year's Knicks only to last year's Knicks or the year's Knicks before that and before that and before that, so forth and so on. No team who has been competently run can look at this season and say, damn, man, look at what the fuck they did. Julius Randle is good. He's not Damian Lillard. He's not Carl Anthony Towns. He's not Ben Simmons. He's not Joel Embiid. He's not Giannis Antetokounmpo. He's not Kevin Durant. He's not James Harden. And I'm sorry. If you have $60 million in cap space and you have all these picks and you are legit trying to win something that matters, you can't pay 
$30 million approximately to someone like Julius Randle to lead your team. That just can't happen, bro. And so many Knicks fans think that because of what we have been, we have we are we are then tied to make a decision that everybody knows isn't right. Just because you have a bad car now doesn't mean you have to spend eighty thousand dollars on a fucking Ford Focus just because that Ford was able to take you to your job. You didn't have to, you didn't break down on the side of the road. Don't spend $80,000. do not spend Rolls Royce money on a Lexus. And a Lexus is a really good car. It's really good. It's a better car than I've ever had. But it's not a Rolls Royce. Julius Randle's a phenomenal basketball player. He's one of the best Knicks players who've played for the Knicks in God knows how long. He ain't a Rolls Royce. You understand? If Julius Brandon wants to come back at 20 million, 21 million, 22 million, cool. Okay. And understand that, dog, your numbers are probably going to go down because we need to bring in other elite level players to go around you. Because you by yourself, even in the weakest conference, you're good enough to win us around. You're good enough to get us to the fourth seed. But the gap between us and one, two, three is larger than the gap between you and number 10. That's just the facts. And the facts sometimes are hard pills to swallow. But that's what happens when you don't grade yourself on the curve. But when you hold yourself to the highest standard possible. I have no desire to win honorable mention. If I'm competing for something and I put in my investing, my energy, my time, my heart, my soul, and my money into something, nah, I don't want honorable mention. I'm in the game to win, baby. I'm in the game to win. And I'll know all I need to know about the future of the New York Knicks if they are actually in it to win it or they're actually in it to get a profit. I'll know all I'll need to know in about a month's time. Nick fans, man, I want to hear from you guys. What do you think? Should Julius Randle be the number one priority to this offseason? Should the Knicks extend Derrick Rose, who's a free agent, after this offseason? There's so many questions as it pertains to the orange and blue Knicks, man. But I want to hear your thoughts. You heard what I have to say. I want to hear what you think. Email me at quarterlyreport at gmail.com or tweet at the show at quarterly show q u a r t e r l e e show and while you're at it make sure you head on over to apple Podcasts, itunes stitcher or spotify and rate the show man leave me five stars but more importantly take a few time figure take a few minutes out of your time excuse me to let me let your friends let the world know why you enjoy the quarterly report podcast in my humble opinion the best sports podcast out today do me those favors. I will greatly appreciate that. You guys heard the horn, which means it is halftime. And halftime, we're going to do something a little bit different this week. I'm almost at like an hour in the first half. so. And um, I had this extra topic that I just wanted to get off my chest because it just has bothered me. And, you know, all due respect to the 
uh, broadcasting legend Marv Albert. For those of you who are not aware, Marv Albert, former voice of the New York Knicks and the Rangers, but now voice of TNT Sports. He has announced that after the Eastern Conference Championship, which will be broadcasted on Turner, he is going to retire. I have plenty of, you know, little uh, snippy, you know, remarks that I could say. I'll just leave it at this. Marv Albert is a broadcasting legend. Marv Albert probably should have retired at least eight years ago. It's been pretty bad. And I always wonder, like, when you've always been considered the best. It's it's one thing when, like, you're forced to, to stop doing something. Stop doing something that you're considered the ultimate, the best, or one of the best at, right? We often think about, like, athletes, because this is a sports podcast. And oftentimes, athletes, they don't voluntarily walk away, right? The game has passed them up or injuries or something along those lines. But like when you are physically and emotionally able to stay at something when you know you're the best, what type of self-awareness does one must have to possess to know, okay, you know what? I could keep doing this. I'm obviously getting paid a lot of money and my my reputation will hold me over for so long. But I'm not doing it at the standard that I'm comfortable with. And that's not to say that you always have to. I'm not saying Marv Albert in 2010 had to be what Marv Albert was in 1992. Of course not. You understand that there would be some slippage. But like, at what point do you cross the threshold where you're like, man, this isn't even. I'm not anywhere close to a standard in which I'm comfortable with. Because I would imagine to get to the pinnacle, you have to hold yourself to a certain standard. So when you reach the top, at what point does that standard just kind of vanish? I've always admired the people who could walk away knowing like, you know what? I'm good now. I'm fine. Could I continue to cash a check? Sure. I don't want to do that. I'll do something else to earn my payday. Right now, I'm great. And like those people are very few and far between. You know, Magic Johnson left, but he left because of health issues. And, you know, at that time, HIV was looked upon as a death. Like, that's a different set of circumstances. Michael Jordan left twice. (laughs) Well, three times, really. But the second time Michael Jordan left was when he was at his best, at, at the pinnacle, right? He left. And then he didn't come back until like 10 years later. And then it was different. And though while the, the Wizards version of Michael Jordan is something to be celebrated, it's not a failure by any stretch of the imagination. He wasn't at the standard in which he, you know what I mean? So when he left, he left out of defiance. You're going to break up the Bulls? You're not going to bring back Phil Jackson? All right, fuck it. I'll walk away. But he came back. John Elway is one of the few, again, in terms of the sporting realm, where John Elway walked away winning a Super Bowl championship. Maybe a Super Bowl MVP. I don't remember if he was the first year MVP or the second year MVP. Um, but they went back to back and he was like, I'm done. Now, to be fair, John Elway was older, but it's just always, I just always think about it. Like, man, like even with Floyd, you watch Floyd, Floyd is, is still boxing to make money. And I think some of that actually is probably because he needs 
that much money, an influx of money because of his spending habits. But I, I'm not sure. I'm just spitballing on that. But you get the point. Like walking away before your legacy is tarnished. And maybe you disagree with me that Marv Albert or Michael Jordan or any of these other people didn't tarnish their legacy. <clears throat> it brings me back to Marv Albert and a very interesting uh, set of circumstances with him because, yeah, I get it. Marv Albert is very, very talented. Marv Albert very well may be the greatest sports play-by-play -play person of all time. The idea that we have completely just ignored his personal issues. the And I'm not even talking about like other private issues. I'm talking about sexual assault. Like we have. How can I say this? I feel like we really work on a window dressing as a society. And I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of it as too, as, as uh, you know, as anyone else. Right. You get the, the beautiful exterior home, but you don't ever clean it. I, I don't clean up the way I should I have a really nice, nice place that I live in. Nice size, really, really dope stuff. But I don't clean it the way I should. There are people who do all these great fitness, you know what I mean? And and and, and different, uh, you know, fitness regimens. And they have all the, the, the great look of a very healthy person. But, you know, they don't eat what they need to. They don't drink water. They don't eat the fruits and vegetables that they need to. So it's it's a very surface level kind of, you know, surface level type of appreciation. And I, and I say that because we live in this day and age now where, man, we, we talk all this good stuff about, yo, the Me Too movement, equality. Let's be good. And these are all very important things that we should be talking about. But when it comes down to it, man, are we really valuing this? I turn on ESPN. Marv Albert, he's just the announcer. He's not the athlete. He's not the coach. He's just the announcer. ESPN, who's owned by Disney, carved out a segment. I mean, they had a montage, they had VO, and they had an on-camera uh, lead. And to Marv Albert, a man who sexually assaulted a woman, then got his job back and has been just just because of how great he is, has been able to kind of, we don't even talk about it. And I get it. I get it. I get it. He's retiring. Maybe maybe you want to look at him differently. But I guarantee you, when, when Floyd retired, guess what? They talked about his domestic violence charge. They talked about it because, of course, it's part of his story. How Marv Albert has been able to fly and navigate around his transgressions is beyond me. Disney-owned properties are sending off an announcer, an announcer, without mentioning his shortcomings. But if an athlete did it, oh my goodness. And I'm not trying to do the tit for tat. I'm not, this is not that. My point is, if you are talented enough, people will ignore whatever they want. So how can we live in a world in which we talk about equality, in which we talk about being allies, the Me Too movement, and understanding um, 
you know, women's rights and all of these different things, not putting your hands on women, right? Consent, understanding that. And we do this on the same plane. I'm watching, I'm watching the, the coverage of Marv Albert. And again, this is, it's important to understand that yes, Marv Albert historically is a great broadcaster, but as it stands right now, Marv Albert's not one of the best. So if there's this sense of kind of like, oh man, I don't know if I should be talking about one of the, like, I don't even believe that that should even be an option. But if you wanted to think like, hey man, I don't want to talk about the best when they're about to leave. Well, Marv Albert's not acting like the best. And his story is still very important. Dog, man, I remember when, God bless the dead, I remember when Kobe passed. I thought that it was kind of nasty, the backlash that people had at just the mere mention of his transgression. If when Mike Tyson retired, yeah, you got to talk about the, the 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 baddest man on the planet, Iron Mike in the ring, but you also got to talk about what happened to Mike Tyson outside of it. When Floyd, all of these things, Ben Roethlisberger, when Ben Roethlisberger retires, I hope they don't do the Marv Albert. You feel me? When Donald Trump passes away, I hope they don't Marv Albert him or Kobe Bryant him. You got to talk about that shit. Because it's part of the story. And if you are if you are moved based upon your personal feelings to somebody, dog, that's lame as shit. If you don't like Donald Trump, so you're like, yeah, man, they got to talk about him. But you love Kobe or you love Floyd Mayweather. And you're like, man, why are they always talking about that? Nah, that's lame. You got to pick a lane and you got to drive in that motherfucker, man. That's consistency. That's integrity. You can't be moved just by your personal feelings. We got to have a code. I typically don't go this long in half times. I typically don't have this heavy of a segment in half times. This this really is just an extra quarter. But it I just felt a way, bro. And I didn't want to I didn't want my message to be drowned or lost through comedy. Like we can get laughs. And I think typically I I try at least to kind of send my message through comedy in half times. Get some laughs, break up the monotony of the show but also to get you to think. But this really bothers me. And I didn't want any of the message to get lost in translation. So congratulations to Marv Albert, basketball hall of famer, one of the greatest basketball voices, sports voices of all time, but that does not erase his past. And the fact that so many people are not even aware of it. You may be listening to this quarter or this halftime right now and saying, man, what is he talking about? And I know that there are many of you like that. That speaks to the issue at hand. All right, man. That's halftime. Again, we did a little things a little bit different this week, but hey, man, it was just weighing on me, and I didn't want to use a quarter on that, but I had to get that off my chest. But hey, halftime adjustments have been made. The first half are in the books. We're going to finish up this show very strong, starting with our third topic this week. Third quarter. In the what four four years of me doing this podcast um i've learned a lot i learned a lot about myself a lot about you know my my goals you know my strengths my weaknesses but also i've learned a lot about the industry 
of podcasting. And when I say them, I'm, I'm obviously not talking about, you know, the, the, the books and the podcasts that I listen to and the, the videos, the seminars, whatever you to improve my show. But the actual day-to-day ins and outs of podcasting, it's, it's really nuts. And it feels as if 2021 is, and really 2020 as well, has kind of shown a light on just how ridiculous this kind of industry, this billion-dollar industry now, has become. Case in point, a few years ago, one of the, I don't know, probably first 30 to 50 episodes I did of this podcast, I was like, man, you know, Joe Budden, Joe Budden has come a long way, and he, he got himself one. He and his homeboys became leaders of just this podcast movement when it comes to, like, you know, black slash urban culture. And if you're of a certain age, when you hear Joe Budden, you hear like, damn, man, Joe Budden fucking up. Like, that's that's what you think. Joe Budden is the guy who had Pump It Up, was his lead single, had a lot of buzz when he came out, didn't really put it together. Slaughterhouse had a huge buzz, never really took off the way it should. Joe Budden, talented rapper, talented guy, talented creator, everyday struggle with complex. You you know it. You've seen the, the, the memes and the gifs of him screaming on people for no reason. Joe Budden was always the guy who had all the talent in the world, but just kept fucking it up. But, like, we all love a redemption story. I love one. And a few years ago, when I saw Joe Budden, it seemed like he was getting himself together. He was clean. And he was getting himself on, but not only getting himself on, getting his folks on. And I, to me, there's a lot about success that is enticing. Lord knows I want to be extremely successful. I want this podcast to be extremely successful. I want, I want that very, very much. But more than even that, I want to be able to make sure my people are good. Not, no, no, let me correct myself. I don't want my people to be good. I want them to be phenomenal. I want my loved ones to do what they want to do, never having to worry about financial issues. If you don't want to work at a job, you don't have to. And if you do, hell, you got a whole big ass safety net just because I love you. Just because you deserve it. Like, to me, breaking bread with your loved ones and having fun along the way, dog, what's better than that? So here I am giving this brother his flowers, thinking, damn, he made it. The redemption story had come full circle. This is what it's all about. Unfortunately, this ain't a movie. Life ain't 90 minutes, if you're lucky. You know, there's no credit scene. It keeps on going. And just years after I made a whole podcast dedicated to Joe Budden's turnaround and how Joe Budden made it, this motherfucker lost his damn mind. And now it's back to, damn, is Joe Budden really fucking this up again? For those of you who do not know, Joe Budden, again, very accomplished, very talented rapper, wasn't the most successful in terms of like record sales and, you know, I guess I don't I don't want to count that man's pocket, but it wasn't like he's Jay-Z, okay? But he, he reinvented himself. He went to Complex, did this internet television show, Everyday Struggle. It was very, very popular. 
that ran its course with him. He left. The show continues at, on, on Complex, and you know people are making a lot of money on that show. He then starts his own podcast with his friends, and then that becomes one of the most influential, powerful, and best podcasts that we had in recent history. In fact, so successful, so powerful, so influential, that he signs a very lucrative, exclusive deal with Spotify. It was a two-year deal. Clearly, he was unhappy. They leave Spotify. They go independent again to get the bag. At this point, there's still nothing really wrong with what's happening, right? Signed a contract. It wasn't the best contract, apparently. If you listen to the people who, who were involved, got out of his contract and chased greener pastures. No one can get mad at that. But last week on the Joe Budden podcast, and I stopped listening to the Joe Budden podcast about a year or so ago. A little over a year because it was just, it was running its course for me. Not knocking anybody, but it had ran its course for me. But still very popular, very influential, very, you know, successful. So unbeknownst to me a few months ago, it becomes apparent that there are issues on the Joe Budden podcast because one of the co-hosts, Rory, is not there. The other co-host who's Joe's man, they used to live together, Maul, he's not on the show. So all my homeboys who still listen to the pod, they hit me up, my like, dog, what's going on with Joe? You hear the Joe Button podcast? I'm like, nah, man, I ain't really listen to it like that. Come to find out, they were having really, really, really big problems because Joe Button last week fires his homeboy from the podcast. Do you understand how nuts that is? Did you fire your friend from a podcast in front of the world? I don't ever want to fire anybody from anything. Number one, if I'm ever in a position to hire somebody, I don't really see myself working for someone for very long, for very much longer in my life. That's a goal I have for myself. So if I am in a position of hiring someone, I'm assuming it's going to be for something that I want to do, for something that I own. I'm not hiring people who I don't rock with. So to fire someone publicly because of private issues, that's nuts. And for a podcast, dog, there's so many pods that I'm seeing now where people are beefing, pods are splitting up. And I'm just thinking to myself, and again, I guess it's just relationships, communicating, no, this is not something that I'm I find myself great at. But I can't imagine having a podcast and firing someone, someone who I'm cool with. They breaking bread, they've had success, they've met each other's wives, girlfriends, seen each other up, seen each other down, and you fire your like how cool could you have possibly been to fire your former homeboy, somebody who again you're breaking bread with publicly. Not because there was theft. Not because he, he, he tried to shoot. You know what I'm saying? Because of a podcast. Ego is a motherfucker, bro. And I, I like to think that I can take life lessons from anything that comes my way. So I see the Joe Budden podcast. The podcast in which you know I was very fond of. A podcast that... You know, I was impressed. And in many ways, not to son anybody, I was proud. 
I was proud that Buddy got himself together and that he, after failures, like significant failures, like very, very broad daylight failures, right? Where people saw flame outs. He bounced back because he believed in himself, believed in his folks and believed in something. To me, that's inspirational. But hubris, man, ego, that will be the downfall of you all, of us all. So I like to look at that stuff as a warning. Like, hey, man, what I'm doing with this podcast, hey, keep your head down, keep focused, stay humble. Because if you don't, life will find a way to humble your ass in the most explosive fashion. I can't imagine firing a homeboy. And I ain't even got that many homeboys. But like, for real, firing them is one thing. You got to fire somebody because they're doing bad business. You got to do what you got to do, especially if you're a businessman. Firing someone publicly from a podcast that is nuts to me. In fact, it's nuts to most people. I don't know too many people riding with Joe on this. But I had to bring this up because, again, years ago I was talking about the ups. Unfortunately, can't have it both ways. You can't love the ups. While running away from the lows, man. I don't know what the future of the Joe Button podcast is. I hope for everybody's sake involved. Man, they were making real good money. Real good money talking for about like five to six hours a week. That's, that's tough. That's tough to walk away from. That's tough to turn down. I don't know what happens from this point on. And honestly, I'm not going to listen. But I hope those brothers get it straightened out, man, because that's that's a hard pill to swallow. There's only but so many failures like on that level that any one person can sustain, can can endure. And I hope all those dudes involved, man, they get that they get it together. Because that's just that's that's a wasted opportunity. That's a wasted opportunity. That's a wasted blessing. And as we all know, man, blessings don't always come along. So when you get one, man, ride that thing until the wheels fall off and don't let ego get in the way. All you Joe Button podcast fans out there, I want to hear what you guys think. Y'all think this is, I've heard some people think that this is just a kind of a ploy, right? To get garner more attention. They said that the show had fallen flat a bit. Million dollars worth of game podcast continues to grow. I think they've even surpassed the Joe Button podcast in terms of downloads. So, like, this may be some kind of ploy to get everybody. I don't necessarily believe that. But I'm interested to hear what you guys have to say. So, if you are a fan of the Joe Button Podcast or just have some theories, hit me up. Email me at quarterlyreport at gmail.com or tweet at the show at quarterlyshow. That's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E show. All right, guys. Three quarters are down, which means we are down to our fourth and final topic this week. A familiar face. In fact, two familiar faces who are tied and linked to a story for no real particular reason. So our fourth and final topic. This fourth quarter. It felt a lot like 2010 and 2016 last week. And if you're wondering why I'm asking if or saying it felt like 
those two specific years, it's because Tim Tebow and Colin Kaepernick somehow managed to find their way onto our television screens, speakers, headphones, whatever the case may be. And I don't know about y'all, man. Like, I just, there are certain topics that just bore me. And it doesn't necessarily mean that the, the, the topics aren't important or they're not relevant or they're not entertaining to, to many. But to me, it's like, okay, have you ever had the con- have you ever had this happen where you're you're having a discussion with someone and you're 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 you at some point you just realize, okay, we don't need to talk anymore because we're just talking over the same talking points again. We're not even trying to make any type of new arguments or new points of view. It's just regurgitating the same stuff over and over again. And you just kind of have to release. You just have to detach yourself because nothing, the story will not advance. That's how I feel when it comes to this topic. There were so many people up in arms about Tim Tebow. And, and then making the, the reach and connecting it to Colin Kaepernick. Let me make something perfectly clear. Number one, I think it's pretty obvious, right? Anyone with half a brain knows that the NFL went out of their way to blackball Colin Kaepernick. Colin Kaepernick peacefully protest, protested, excuse me, and people got upset. They felt away. They started focusing on all these other things except for the things he specifically said, the things he specifically laid out. Talked about his socks. Talked about his parents. Talked about him being biracial. Growing up with white folk. Talked about his girlfriend. Talked about how good he... All these other things. Talked about whatever the case may be. No one talked about the specific point that he was trying... That he did make. No one talked about it. Because they were uncomfortable. Here we are now... And everyone's like, hey, man, let's peacefully protest. Whatever. Colin Kaepernick did not do anything wrong. The NFL blackballed him, showed their ass off. And I don't think that the NFL will ever truly be able to reconcile that. They showed their true colors. Period. Bomb. If you have a problem with Colin Kaepernick still not being in the league, That's fine. There is nothing wrong. You will not hear me say one negative thing about that. I will ask you, what does Tim Tebow have to do with Colin Kaepernick? That's the issue. Remove Tim Tebow from the dynamic. If you have a problem with Colin Kaepernick still being blackballed, fine. You are cool. That is, you're right. That's fucked up. Tim Tebow getting signed to a, you know, off-season contract to be a tight end to play for his college coach in Jacksonville, close to, you know, Gainesville, where he was a college icon. No, that's, that's not the same thing. Like, that's a reach. That's a Superman, a Space Jam reach that doesn't even need to be done. If you have a problem with Colin Kaepernick still being blackballed, you have the you have the right, you have the high ground to voice that frustration. You are correct. There's no need to bring in Tim Tebow though. 
Tim Tebow ain't got nothing to do with Colin Kaepernick. Tim Tebow was a minor league baseball player. He got an opportunity because people love Tim Tebow. That's is it fair? Nope. But that's the reality of the situation. Colin, people love Colin Kaepernick too. People love Colin Kaepernick too. Don't get me wrong. Colin Kaepernick has made a lot of people a lot of money since losing his job unfairly to the NFL because he peacefully protests 100%. And he's going to continue to make a lot of people a lot of money. But if you were to truly poll, truly poll, the average American, when I say the average American, it means the majority of the Americans are white. The majority of football fans in this country are white. And we know what time it is. Not saying that all white people view this way, but we know every white friend that I have has at least, uh, they've told me about the uncle or the aunt or the grandmother or the cousins. And I, and I hear it. And if every single one of them, even the cool ones that I'm super cool with, I, I'm talking about, I got brothers who are white. Like if, if, if they have cousins, plural, or uncles, right? Relatives who get down like that. Man, what do you think? What do you think the dynamics are? The NFL has no code. The NFL is just like the, the, the corner worker. They go to the highest bidder. They're a mercenary. All they see is green. That's it. There is no moral code. There is no integrity. They have shown their ass. They have shown their true colors. So why are you mad that Tim Tebow is getting an opportunity? Of course Tim Tebow is going to get an opportunity. It's the NFL. They don't care. But Tim Tebow getting a chance that he's not going to fulfill to be a tight end in his 30s has nothing to do with Colin Kaepernick. Nothing. Colin Kaepernick ain't trying to be a fucking NFL. He's not trying to change positions. Colin Kaepernick wants to be a quarterback. Explain to me what Tim, if you can say, man, Tim Tebow's only getting the shot because of Urban Meyer. Yes, that's true. We, we get it. Maybe if there was an NFL head coach who was super cool with Colin Kaepernick, he'd get a job, but there's not. You understand? Like, like, I, Again, make me. I want to make this perfectly clear. There is nothing wrong with advocating, screaming at the top of your lungs to say that the NFL are acting like a bunch of assholes for blackballing Colin Kaepernick. You can make your case, your argument, scream to your lungs, have no air left. And you would be right. My question only is, what does Tim Tebow add to that? How does Tim Tebow advance your argument? Because I don't see it. One team, the Jacksonville fucking Jaguars, one of the most irrelevant teams in professional sports in America, decides to get relevant by having one of their native sons play a position in the offseason. He didn't even get a guaranteed contract. I hope y'all don't think that 
Tim Tebow is the only player who gets signed in the offseason. Like, that shit happens all the time. It's just that Tim Tebow is such a big name, a big polarizing name. So, man, this is one of the reasons why I love Blank Man so much. Blank Man is one of the most underrated movies of the 90s. I genuinely mean that, man, because there are some parts of movies where it's not even a, a significant part. But it's so poignant and it's so timeless. Jason Alexander is in Blank Man. He's the hard edition news editor. And there was this part of the movie, very small part, inconsequential. He He's in the hard edition newsroom. And he's throwing darts at a board. And it's how they pick the story topics if they don't have any real news. So it's like, uh, you know, alien... And you throw another dart and it lands on, um, you know, a famous actress. And then you throw another dart, SNM role play, right? And you just throw, you have those three things together and you can create a story. It's not unlike sports talk. Colin Kaepernick, Tim Tebow, LeBron James, Michael Jordan, Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, Dallas Cowboys, Jerry Jones, Steph Curry, Kevin Durant. It's the same topics, the same people over and over and over again. Russell Westbrook. You just talk about the same people in different ways and find different arguments and different topics that you can create. But it's the same thing. It's always the same. It's the same people. The same characters in the story. Just different circumstances. Tim Tebow and Colin Kaepernick being associated in a topic was gold for these type of TV shows, for these type of sports talk radio shows, and for podcasts like myself. I'm Look, I can't act like I'm holier than thou. I'm spending the fourth quarter of my show talking about it. But I'm doing it so everybody can peep game. These people who were bringing up Colin Kaepernick and Tim Tebow, they don't give a fuck about Colin Kaepernick. Because what is, what is Tim Tebow doing to Colin Kaepernick? What, like, what is the argument there? Tim Tebow is not taking the job from Colin Kaepernick. The people who would hire, it's not like there's 32 teams trying to hire Tim Tebow. There's one. And that one team ain't going to hire him. And that one team is coached by his former college coach, college coach when he was an icon, in the city that's about, like, what, three hours away? And people spend an entire week an entire week arguing Colin Kaepernick and Tim Tebow. For what? For what? I had to take a had to take a drink of some water real quick, man. Forgive me. It's roused me up, man. But that that that's the thing that bothers me. Because I fall victim to that too. We shouldn't let people play with our emotions like that. We have to have greater control over ourselves to not become manipulated to these same games and these same tactics. It's clear as day Colin Kaepernick has nothing to do with Tim Tebow and vice versa. Tim Tebow is not in the way of Colin Kaepernick's being hired. And Tim Tebow getting a shot doesn't speak to any type of larger ills when it comes to the NFL. The NFL has shown you their ills. We know what it is. You don't need Tim Tebow to highlight it. You don't need Tim Tebow's not a microscope. The NFL will jump out there butt naked and show you all their warts. They don't give a fuck. 
So why are we surprised? In fact, this is exactly how the NFL, every step along the way, this is what the NFL tells you. The people, the fans that they value the most are their white fans. I don't think that's controversial. That's not a hot take. That's real. There are more white people in this country than there are anybody else. And white people, they love Tim Tebow. White people don't really rock with Colin Kaepernick. The NFL doesn't give a fuck if it's fair, if it's right, if it's just. Clearly, we five years removed from Tim, from, I'm sorry, Colin Kaepernick taking the knee. Look at what's happened across the country. And the NFL is putting in racism in their end zone, not because they have some social, you know, compass. No, because they feel like they can hit a lick off that. And they did, because they're the NFL. But let's stop allowing these things to take a hold over us. That's what the NFL does. This is what all these sports leagues do. None of these people, none of these leagues, none of these commissioners give a damn about fucking Colin Kaepernick or his causes or the causes that are near and dear to you. They sell their pink towels so they can make money. And yeah, they give money to breast cancer awareness. They do. But is it anywhere close to a significant percentage of the money that they make? The NFL don't need to sell you anything to drop a blank check for every single cause that means something to you. Whether it's racial or social justice, whether it's ending a disease, whether it's bringing uh, uh, or, or shining a light on domestic violence, whatever, fill in the blank. The NFL don't care. The NFL will tell you in every way, shape, and form outside of just blatantly saying it. They don't give a fuck about any of it. They care about the bottom line. And the bottom line for anybody who's paying attention, stop letting this stuff get you riled up. Because throughout the entire week of you arguing about Colin Kaepernick and Tim Tebow and Tim Tebow and Colin Kaepernick or Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, whatever the case may be, whatever the argument is, guess what you end up spending your time talking, clicking, and buying? The NFL. Marla Daniels said the most real shit ever. If you go to my personal Twitter account, man, it's, it's on my, my header. You cannot lose if you do not play. Stop allowing the NFL to play you, bro. I want to hear your guys' thoughts, man. If you believe that Tim Tebow and Colin Kaepernick are somehow linked, I got to hear this shit because I don't see it. I don't get it. But I'm open to being convinced otherwise. So if you feel like you can do it, email me at quarterlyreport at gmail.com or tweet at the show at quarterly show. That's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E -E -E show. Hey, guys, that's my time this week. Four quarters are in. We had a fun show. And damn it, the play-in games are underway. I don't like the play-in games, but damn it, seeing LeBron James and Steph Curry play on Wednesday night, that's very, very tempting. I hope you guys enjoy that. I hope you guys enjoy the first nights of the NBA playoffs. Y'all know we have so much to get to next week. I cannot wait. But until then, I will see you guys back here next Tuesday for another episode of the Quarterly Report Podcast. Y'all take it easy.